0: This is Scripture on Creation with Dr. Ben Scripture. With a Master of Divinity, a Ph.D. in Biochemistry, and over 30 years of experience studying and teaching about creation, he is well-equipped to discuss biblical and scientific perspectives on creation, science, and intelligent design. This and past programs are also available as a free podcast, so you can listen anytime. And now, here is Scripture on Creation.
1: Thank you and welcome to Scripture on Creation. I'm Scott Kump. And I'm Dr. Ben Scripture. Dr. Scripture, we're studying the flood account in the book of Genesis. You spent several programs discussing and explaining Genesis seven eleven, mm-hmm. the verse you describe as the key to understanding the dynamics of the flood itself. Right. And now in today's program, we're going to move on and consider the rest of Genesis chapter 7. That's right, Scott. If we
2: summarize Genesis chapter 6 as being the description of conditions on the earth that led to God sending the flood, I would summarize Genesis chapter 7 as being the description of the flood itself. We learned that the source of water was first from underground and then secondarily from the sky.
1: And how long did that water fall from the sky, Scott? Genesis 7:12 tells us specifically, "...and the rain fell upon the earth for forty days and forty nights." Which actually is confirmation of what God had told Noah before the flood
2: began. In verse 4 of chapter 7, God told Noah, quote, "...for after seven more days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights." And I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made, Now, we've been emphasizing that the Bible makes it clear it was a global flood. And as a result, all life on land died. And we see that stated in the verse I just read. It said, every living thing that I have made. And what we're going to see now as we read verses 12 through 24 of chapter 7, The account stresses the fact that all life on land was destroyed, again confirming the
1: whole world was flooded. And Dr. Scripture, the reason you're emphasizing this is because there are some Bible-believing creationists who do not think the entire world was flooded. In other words, they do not think that it was a global flood, but merely a large yet local flood that wiped out all the creatures in the vicinity of the earth where Noah lived.
2: Yes, Scott. And in discussions I've had with people who hold that opinion, they often do still think all people were killed except for the eight on the ark, but they reject the idea that all land animals on the entire earth were drowned. And in my conversations, I've
1: heard them then refer to the flood as a universal flood. Universal? What does that mean? (laughs) Surely they don't think the universe was flooded. They don't even think the whole earth was flooded. Right. What they mean by the term is
2: that all humans were wiped out, except Noah and his family, of course. Now, I personally think the choice of that term is misleading, but that's their description of a flood that destroys all the people on earth, but not all the land animals. And I just mention this because a person who does understand the flood to be a global flood may hear someone use the term a universal flood and not understand that universal flood does not actually mean a global flood. Now, as I mentioned, that view of a universal flood is held by many who are creationists. But the idea of a local flood is held by lots of people who have no belief in the Bible whatsoever. But as we saw in earlier programs, there is such an overwhelming memory of a flood in the literature and cultural records of peoples and cultures around the world. Even Bible skeptics acknowledge there must have been some flood event in antiquity that people are recalling in their accounts of history.
1: It was those different accounts from all over the world that got you started on this flood series, right? (laughs) That's right. And the main point was this. The common element between almost every version of the flood was the idea that it was a global. Global flood, not just a local one.
2: That's correct, Scott. So now as we read Genesis 7:12 through24, there will be a number of interesting details about the flood recorded in this passage. But I want everyone to pay special attention to how often the global nature of the flood is mentioned. So go ahead, Scott, you've quoted Genesis 7:12 once already, but let's hear it again. And the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And on the very same day, Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives
1: of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. So they went into the ark to Noah, by twos of all flesh, in which was the breath of life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him, and the Lord closed it behind him. Then the flood came
2: upon the earth for forty days, and the water increased and lifted up the ark,
1: so that it rose above the earth. And the water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. And the water
2: prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the
1: heavens were covered. The water prevailed fifteen cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh that moved on the earth perished,
2: birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth, and
1: all mankind. Of all that was on the dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life died. Thus,
2: he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, and they were blotted out from the earth. And only Noah was left, together with those that were with him in the ark.
1: And the water prevailed upon the earth one hundred and
2: fifty days. So, Scott, if you'd never heard that passage before, tell me, would you think it was describing a local flood? A flood that devastated some region of the world, like, for example, the Amazon Basin of South America, or the Mississippi Valley of North America, or the
1: Fertile Crescent of the Middle East. Well, let me think. It said, All the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered, Mm -hmm. and all flesh that moved on the earth perished. Mm -hmm. And it said, And all mankind. And it said, thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land. They were blotted out from the earth. So, no, (laughs) I would not think the passage was describing anything but a worldwide flood. (laughs) Uh, I don't know what more the text could say to communicate the idea that it was a global flood. I couldn't agree more,
2: Scott. So, that being the case... What would prompt the person to interpret this passage to be describing just a local, you know, a regional flood?
1: It seems to me it would be their preconceived idea that there could not have been a worldwide flood. But if they believe the Bible is true, they need to explain that the passage is not really describing a global flood. Now, that's what I think too, Scott.
2: In my judgment, their interpretation comes from an opinion that the explanations of scientists who in large measure have no regard for the accuracy or trustworthiness of the Bible, are more reliable and a better description of reality than what is recorded in the Bible. And so, in an effort to, in their minds motivation, protect the Bible's veracity, they distort the simple, clear meaning of the text, saying, yeah, but that's not really what it means. On one hand, you know, I understand that motivation. But I also can't help but think it reveals a lack of confidence, even trust, in God's word as we have it recorded and preserved for us by the Lord. And I think an important verse that addresses this issue was written by Peter, who, by the way, often refers to the flood in several passages of his epistles. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he says, But know this first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy
1: Spirit, spoke from God. And Dr. Scripture, aren't you speaking from personal experience? That idea of distorting the word in order to have it fit your own preconceived ideas about so called scientific explanations? Well, yes,
2: I am speaking from personal experience, Scott. You're right. I've heard
1: you talk about this before. You
2: know my testimony. I, at one point, you know, was even just questioning the Bible altogether. But then when the Lord turned my life around, I struggled with my interpretation of the first few chapters of Genesis because I began to believe in creation, but not just the way the Bible talked about it. That is, the way it presented it in suddenness, that it was special creation that God did very quickly. And so, frankly, I interpreted it to fit basically an evolutionary time frame, but that God did it. And I have to admit my motivation was, well, I believe the Bible is true. And so somehow I've got to distort the meaning, although I didn't say I was distorting it, but distort the simple meaning to then be able to say, well, evolution is true, at least to some extent. And the Bible is true as well. Sort of the sense that I've got to bail
1: God out. Yeah. And so that's probably part of the reason why you address people who are still in that camp, so to speak, with a certain amount of mercy and grace. Well, sure.
2: I mean, I understand where they're coming from. And they've just heard so much from a scientific perspective that seems to make sense. I mean, how can all those scientists be wrong? (laughs) A judgment that we don't apply to Buddhists or Muslims, but somehow or other we apply it to the scientific community. It really is a head-scratcher, but you know, when we are faced with the idea that what I've believed or what I've thought for years and years is wrong, it is a difficult thing to, shall I use the biblical word, repent. You know, by God and his grace and mercy caused me to repent right there in my chair in a seminary classroom. Hmm. I realized that I was distorting God's word in the way I interpreted it to somehow harmonize evolution and creation. So there's quite a bit more in these verses that we've read that contain very interesting details. For example, how high the water was above the mountains and so on and so forth. We'll continue to discuss those things next time. But just to be reminded once again, what the Bible says in Genesis 7, verse 19, and the water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. And that's not what I say.
1: That's what scripture says. Okay, listeners, stay where you're at and you too, Dr. Scripture, because we have a special announcement. Oh, well, what is that, Scott? Well, as usual, we are trying to find out who listens and where you listen, and what we'd like to do, what we do about this time every year, is if you let us know that information, we will send you a complimentary calendar. That's right, a beautiful, full-size creation
2: calendar, and as Scott has just said, all we're asking you to do is let us know you listen and where you're listening, because it's always helpful to us to be good stewards of the resources the Lord gives us to broadcast
1: on the radio stations where people actually listen. (laughs) And Dr. Scripture, those calendars, I kind of want you to describe them because they are beautiful.
2: Well, they have, of course, a beautiful picture every month, and they're nice and big. So even if you use your phone, I don't know about you, Scott, but I write all kinds of things on that Mm -hmm. calendar, even though I've got my appointments in my calendar in my phone as well. So one of the things that this calendar enables you to do is count the days as well as count your blessings as we recognize the glory of God in his beautiful creation. So the next thing to do is let everybody know how they can contact us to ask for a calendar.
1: Yeah, and the best way to do that would be to contact you by email, Dr. Scripture. How do they do
2: that? Well, you write scripture at scriptureoncreation.org. Another thing that you can do which we all tend to do more and more these days, is use your phone. So you can just text me. My number is 574-551-1524. And again, if you do text me, you've gotta tell me where you're listening, as well as in every case, whether it's email or text, or even if you left me a voicemail. You need to leave your mailing address. We cannot text you the calendar phone (laughs) through the internet. So we have to have a physical address to mail the calendar to.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed the program. If you have comments or questions you'd like Dr. Scripture to address, you can contact him by sending an email to scripture at scriptureoncreation.org or call 574-551-1524. You can learn more about our ministry on the website, www.scriptureoncreation.org. And you can also listen to past episodes of the program archived on the website or by subscribing to the free podcast.